Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who grew up in Freehold Township, New Jersey, as a New York Mets fan. This past season, he got to play for them. The San Diego Padres selected him in the 2008 Major League Baseball draft. He quickly climbed the Padres' minor league ladder. He was named the Carolina League's Pitcher of the Year for 2010 after posting a 2.47 ERA and saving a league record 41 games and 62 appearances. After three seasons with the Padres, he played for the Orioles, Braves, Cubs, and Mets. He was an All-Star in 2016. It is a pleasure to welcome Brad Brock to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Brad. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's actually our pleasure. So let's start out with the fact that right now many baseball execs think that the postseason ball is different than the one that's been used in the regular season, thus reducing home runs in postseason. So I guess the question I have for you is you throw a four-seam fastball and a slider, occasionally a splitter to lefties. As a pitcher, how did the new ball with the laces that are not as raised in the past affect the movement on pitchers, pitches that you threw, and what adjustments did you have to make during the season because of the baseball? Yeah, uh, I think you saw a different type of movement from all the pitches this year, whether it was um, your slider, you know, changeup. For me, it's particularly, it was my slider and my changeup. I just didn't see have as much break as they normally do, so... It was kind of just one of those things all year where you try not to think about it and you go out there and you just try to grip the ball like you know how and just kind of throw it. Um, it's a lot harder to do when you start hearing about all this stuff about less drag and you know the ball traveling further and all that kind of stuff. So it always creeps in the back of your mind. But at the end of the day, you just have to make the adjustments because every, every pitcher has to do it. You know, everyone's using the same ball. So if uh, you know, your ball is not moving the same as it does, you just got to – do whatever it is to try to get it back as close to, if not the same as it used to be. And uh, the biggest thing for me this year was my changeup was just not moving the same like it normally does. And uh, that was a, a a tough pitch for me all year, and that's, I think, why I had so much struggles against lefties, just because uh, the changeup usually is my go-to pitch, and this year I just wasn't able to make it move as effectively. So how quickly would you know that there's a change in the baseball? They say uh, it's the two games. Honestly, I don't think it was really one of those things until there was like a report, the report about it, I think it was in May or June, um, one of the, you know, baseball scientists or something like that came out with an article on The Athletic that I read, and I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense that, you know, the home runs are way up. Uh, the circumference of the ball was like the most circular it had ever been. The ball was centered better than it ever had been, and there was less drag on pitches. So you start thinking about all that and kind of putting two to two together, and it kind of all adds up to pitches just not moving the same as they used to and the ball going a little bit further. So, yeah, I would say I honestly didn't even really think about it. I just thought that maybe I was doing something wrong until probably about May or June. And the reason why it's of utmost importance to Met fans is, you know, so many of us are trying to come up with reasons why Edwin Diaz's season went off the rails. His stuff seemed to be still electric. I mean, he was still, you know, the radar gun still was the same exact numbers, but we all know what happened this season. I know you saw him for a short time frame in the 40-some-odd games you were a Met, but did you see any difference in the movement in his, his pitches when you were out in the bullpen? And do you think that, you know, the new ball had a significant difference in, in how he performed this year? I, you know, I, he's, he's a case. I didn't get a chance to see a ton of his games in, um, out in Seattle just because, 
being with Baltimore, we didn't see too many late night games. And uh, by the time he was in the game, I was probably asleep or close to it. And uh, you know, this year I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen a guy go out there, strike out three guys, and the one person who was able to make contact, the ball goes over the fence. It felt like every time he pitched or whenever he gave up a run, that's what the case was. And it's it's just unbelievable because everything's still electric. But I feel like the way the hitters have been hitting is more of a of a result of his season than it is his pitching. I felt like a lot of hitters now are just trying to get the ball, the barrel into the zone. And this year, knowing that the balls flew a little bit better, it was trying to get the barrel in the zone, keep it in there as long as possible. And if you are even to make the slightest bit of contact, especially with how fast his slider is and how much spin it has on it, I felt like all you had to do is get a barrel to it and it clipped it out of the park. It was it was unbelievable watching him pitch. I mean, I really enjoyed being around him, and I know this year definitely bothered him. He was uh, he, he was struggling with you know the the results and you know some some of the uh, rude awakenings that he got from the fans as he came off the field. I mean, I felt I felt for him because as a pitcher, I think everybody's been there. And not making excuses for him, he he wouldn't make any excuses. But I feel like if they can make some adjustment next year, he's going to be back to being the dominant closer that he was the year before. You're signed by the Mets August 9th. At that point, the Mets were 60-56. and 56. They go 26-20 and 20 in the 46 games you're a Met. What was your takeaway from the makeup of the core of that team as compared to some of the others that you played for? I really enjoyed being around the guys. This, uh, I know um, coming over from Chicago, we were, that was a winning ball club there, too. It's, there was a little bit older of a core group of guys. This one, uh, the main guys are, you know, early on in their career, whether it's you know, rookies like Pete Alonzo or second-year, third-year guys like J.D. Davis and then obviously Jeff McNeil. But uh, I was really impressed with Mike Conforto. I, I really appreciated the way he went out and plays the game. And, you know, watch, getting to watch Jacob DeGrom every five days is, is uh, a treat all in itself. And especially being down the bullpen, uh, you can appreciate a guy that loves to go seven, eight, nine innings every time he pitches. So the, uh, the core group of that, that team is uh, – it's going to do big things. It's a, it's a really exciting group. I'm hoping that uh, they bring me back into the fold because I just, um, you know, it's, a, it's everyone. It's, I think it's every Mets fan hope every year that next year is the year. But I truly believe after being around the guys and uh, being in that clubhouse that, you know, even, even this year we were a few innings away from being right in the mix right down to the last day. So it's, it's one of those things that's exciting, and like I said, hopefully uh, I get to be back in the fold next year. We hope that, too, uh, as well, and you're right. Everything you said right there is spot on. One of the 46 games you played for the Mets was the 9-11 game. Being from the area, did that particular night have extra significance to you? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I can still think back to watching that Mike Piazza game where he hit the home run the first one back in New York, and I, I don't... I don't know how to describe it other than, like, you don't know what that day felt like unless you lived in the area. And not that I lived in New York City, but, I mean, we still had, you know, family, friends and stuff that worked in the city. And, I mean, a ton of people from Monmouth County that go to the city every single day to work. And, uh, yeah, that that day was, I mean, the ceremony was just incredibly emotional. And uh, the Mets did an amazing job with it. And uh, I, I felt really honored to be able to be a part of it. And getting to talk to the couple firemen that were next to me, it's, I just, I just think back to that day, and I just can't imagine what it would be like to be one of those people to go into those buildings and survive and come back and know that some of the people they went in the building with, well, some of the best friends didn't. And you know, it's it's getting close to 20 years ago now, and it's just it feels like it was yesterday. Anytime that that anniversary comes up, and um, like I said, I just felt very honored to be a part of that that ceremony, and I was glad I was able to be a med, and they did such a great job to 
honor the fallen, the fallen, and to recognize all the brave men and women of New York City. That particular night, Pete Alonso did something pretty special as well. He he brought every teammate special cleats for that game. When you see your cleats, uh, and the fact that Pete did it, what was the first thing that went through your mind? Uh, that I can't believe he's a rookie. That's <laughs> that's uh, that was the first thing that went through my mind. It's that's something you see, you know, guys who have been around a long time do, and um, just to, for him to have that kind of awareness to kind of get everybody involved in it. Because it's one thing to do it yourself, but then it's another thing to get every single person that's there involved and to find out what size could you have, what company you have uh, your endorsement with, and then to go and get cleats made for each person on the team was pretty special. And uh, just to, you know, like I said, for him, if he would have done it himself, it would have been awesome. But to get everybody involved, it was, it was a pretty special um, moment and definitely a special occasion for um, all the guys on the team. You mentioned the fact that it's a rookie. Through your nine years in the majors, you've been around a lot of rookies. And, in fact, I'm trying to think who we had. We were talking, um, Steve Blass last week yeah. talked mm-hmm. about being a rookie, and back mm-hmm. then you were seen and, and you, were ne- you, you never spoke. Yeah. You've been around you know, many rookies. Have you ever seen one that exhibits, forget about his play, but the poison leadership that Pete you know, exhibits on a daily basis as a rookie? Have you ever come across that in the game yet? No, this is, this is the first time. Uh, I think, and I think just growing up in the area, too, gave me a little bit more appreciation for it, too, just because you can, I mean, we all know the New York media is, it, it can be tough at times. And for um, him to be able to deal with the market of New York all in itself and to not only have a couple good months, but have six good months and put an entire season together. And as he's getting closer to the rookie record and as he's getting closer to 50 homers and, you know, just the way he dealt with everything and the way he was able to go out there every single night and still look like the same player day in and day out, having never done it before, was incredible. And like you said, the way he handled his interviews, the way he was able to give his time to people that went and asked him, it was, it was definitely impressive to be, be around. And I was only there for two months, so I can only imagine what it was like to be around him for six and then eight, including spring training. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the home run chase. When you joined the team, Pete, was 16 home runs from tying the Major League rookie record, five from the franchise single-season record. As a teammate watching him chase those numbers, is it exciting for a, a teammate as it was for the fans? You know, did, did you get caught up in that chase as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I knew he was having a really good season when I went over there, and then when I, I saw how far away he was from uh, judges, Mark, I was like, okay, maybe – Maybe he'll get close. That seems like a lot, of, a lot to go. And then all of a sudden there, like mid-August to beginning of September, I looked up and I was like, man, he's at like 46, 47. I was like, he's got a shot at this. And he just, he kind of went off. It was, it was awesome to watch. And it's actually funny when I was at the team hotel before I went over to the stadium the first day, he, he actually drove up and picked me up and, and brought me over to the stadium. So he was the first Met that I, that I was able to meet on the team. And it's just kind of, it was cool getting to watch him go through the whole thing. And I'd say as it got to about 47, 48, I mean, every time he came up, uh, especially when he was at home, the fans were so into every at bat. And then when he hit that one that broke the record, it was that was an awesome experience. That was uh, one of those things you don't you don't get to see too many records, no matter how many seasons you play, no matter how many teams you play on. You don't get to see too many records in person, and to be able to see that was it was pretty special. And obviously, you could tell that he was very grateful to be in that spot and able to uh, catch catch judges' records.
So one of the things that really sticks out to me in this interview is your belief in the guys in that locker room and something that now I want to look forward to next season. But looking back at last season, there were a lot of things that went wrong, but that team stuck together for me from an outside perspective. So how was important was it was having a Jacob DeGrom and a Pete Alonzo to look to and say, this is the guy, he's going to lead the way, let's all get in line. And you guys believing in each other can, can you know, block out that New York media you were talking about. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... You know, it, it's kind of funny because when I was with, not funny, it's kind of ironic, really, because I was in Chicago um, right when the, I was with the Cubs when the Mets came into town and the pitching coaches had just been fired. And then the series after that, they went to Philadelphia and, like, it was, I mean, the games were just crazy watching from the outside perspective. And I'm just thinking, okay, that's it, the Mets are done. And then I ended up getting released by the Cubs and, you know, the Mets were definitely at the high, top of my list. And I'm like, man, these guys are back in. I, I can't believe everything that went on during that time and now they're still in and I'm like these guys must be something to be around and I think the most impressive part about it is that nothing was like said there was no you know team meeting let's do this let's do that it was just when you have a guy like Jacob DeGrom who goes out there and he's proved it year after year and he goes out and you know exactly what to expect every five days as a starter that is that's invaluable um, to a team and invaluable to a bullpen invaluable to an offense and I think honestly after being there I seen it from the other side where they get two runs or less almost every time he pitches. I can see, I can almost see why because you get so comfortable in the fact of him throwing up a zero every single time that you almost sit back a little bit. But um, it's it, it was awesome. It was great being like you said, being around those guys. Like I said, Michael Florida was great. Uh, Wilson Ramos did a great job behind the plate. I think um, you know he, he was able to deal with the whole with Noah Syndergaard situation there really well. And you know to have guys who've been around a while that really helps in those situations. If it, if it was somebody who was a younger guy. Who knows how that would have went over, but it was never mentioned. It was never talked about, and we went about business on a daily basis, um, you know, just like nothing had happened. So, so you look ahead, and you look at the playoffs, see what's going on, and Washington seems to be making a very nice run. They're a, a main rival, if not chief rival, for the Mets for the past few years. As a Met, are you rooting for the Nationals or against the Nationals? I, you know what, I... I don't even know. I don't really know if I like watching the games. I don't know if I'm really technically rooting for a team or not. Uh, I think, you know, definitely when to that to that regard, I think you root for the team that's in your division because then it proves how good your division was. And I think that's what kind of proves how good the National League East was this year. When you look at the Atlanta went against five games against the Cardinals, and the Cardinals beat the Brewers and the the Cubs and all the teams they had there. And to have us be so close to the Nationals, where when I was there, I mean we. We almost beat them every single game I was there. And uh, to um, look at them now in the playoffs, two wins from the World Series, you kind of it makes you think even harder. Like, man, we were yep. we were that close to being able to do something special. And I think it was the I want to say it was the first game after we were eliminated. And I sat back in my locker and kind of looked around the locker room, and we won a really good game. I think it was against the Braves, the first night against the Braves. And I'm like, man, this is so, did that was such a wasted opportunity to share with this group of guys. Just you you really. I mean, there's a lot of talent there, and you kind of you kind of like think about the missed opportunity. And now, like you said, watching the national playoffs, I think um, you realize how big of a missed opportunity it was because if we had a chance to get in the playoffs, who knows what we could have done. So you and I texted a little bit the day Mickey was fired, and you know I keep on thinking about it. Like personally, I like Mickey as a person. I. I, I think that he did a lot of things and and again I you know not being in the clubhouse we don't know how much is that never say attitude you know transferred from the manager um, so you have played for five different organizations five different managers Bud Black Buck Showalter Brian Snickner Joe Madden and Mickey 
As a player, are there perceivable differences for each organization and each manager? And how do they affect the day-to-day play of a player? You don't have to give specifics of a team if you want to give, or a manager if you want to give specifics, but... You know, we had this conversation. It seems the Dodgers change managers, but they yet they continue to win. The Cardinals change managers, yet they continue to win. The Braves, the Twins. So, could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know, like what managers always say, it's like you know they they get all the credit when when they win, and they get no credit when they lose. And it's uh, I, I honestly, being a manager is a tough job. It's um, I think there's got to be a balance between having a really good personal relationship with guys and being able to keep business business, you know, and it's, I think it's a, t- it's a tough line to follow there as a manager of a team. And especially, you know, being Mickey's first job and in New York, I, I, I couldn't imagine the pressure on a day-to-day basis to be able to, you know, deal with your media obligations, your front office obligations, and then deal with the players. And I think it goes for every manager I've played for. I, it's a tough, it's a tough job. I mean, um, like I said, you want to have you want to have a rapport with each guy, but at the same time, you know you're not going to be able to be on the best the best terms with every single player. It's just not possible. I think no matter what manager you talk to with any guy that's ever played the game, you will find somebody who had a problem with that manager. So it's it's one of those things where it's I think you you are only as good as how well the team performs. And unfortunately, I think for Mickey with here with the expectations, especially with this group of guys, I just think it was one of those things where you know with a new GM and um, then thinking that we should be in the playoffs and should be contending for World Series and all that. It's just kind of one of those things where it was time to move on. And uh, I got nothing but good things to say about Mickey. My younger brother pitched for him in the minor leagues with the Indians. And so I had known him for a long time. And my brother has nothing but good things to say about him. Every other guy that I know and every other organization had nothing good to say about Mickey. And I'm sure he'll get a good job somewhere else. And uh, this one just wasn't meant to be, but I'm sure it was a good learning experience moving forward. And, I think that's that's one of the good things about baseball is that uh, you'll learn good or bad something from wherever you're at, and um, I think Nicky will definitely be better for it moving forward. As a pitcher, which position is more important to you, the manager, the pitching coach, or the bullpen coach? I think it's the I, – I personally think that the pitching coach and the bullpen coach should be 1A, 1B. Um, they're the ones that are monitoring your usage. They're the ones that – know how many times you've gotten up in a certain day or in a certain week. And I feel like if each one of them are on the same page and there's no disconnect between the two of them, I feel like they should just be almost a two-headed monster. The two pitching coaches we had in uh, Baltimore, Dom Chidi and Dave Wallace, they were every single bullpen, they were there standing side-by-side side with each other. So there was no guessing on what they think they should do with some guy. There was no arguments. And if there was arguments, they figured it out between themselves without the player knowing about it. And I just think um, – as a pitcher, especially in the bullpen, I think the pitching coach and the bullpen coach are your two biggest allies and the two guys you need to have uh, the best rep, uh, relationship with. Brad, thank you so much for your time tonight. I, for one, am hoping opening day I, I get to interview on the f- you on the field, and I hope to get to say this next year, Brad Brock, member of the 2020 world champion New York Mets. That, that, that's my hope. That would be awesome. Yeah, it gave me chills when you said that, so I hope uh, I really hope that's the case, too. I would love to do that. All right. We'll speak soon. Thank you so much for your time right. tonight. You got it. Again, like I said, hopefully be able to say Brad Brock, member of the 2020 World Championship New York Mets.